And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who loves to wave a flag on the 4th of July. Hi, folks, and welcome back to The Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And boy, oh boy, it's beautiful here. I'm on the mainland. I'm not on Milleronia today, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. But boy, oh boy, that music... Well, that music puts me on Milleronia in many ways, and I think the Colonel will agree with me. It's, we hear that music, and we just were in complete charge. We love doing our show. And, uh, of course, that's the Mark Levin Orchestra and the Helena Moore Dancers, featuring boy tenor Mike Lucking, asking the musical question, Any thoughts of putting a piranha tank on Milleronia for special occasions? Well, I'll tell you what, Mike, first of all, that's a terrific idea, and that's no kidding. That's a wonderful idea. I mean, there's no, look, no better torment than watching a man get eaten by those fish, and they start at the, well, it doesn't matter where they start. Wherever they start, in 30 seconds, they finish. It's a great idea, Mike, and uh, it's so good, frankly, I, I, I started to think about it here, even with Colonel Jeff saying, hey, wait a minute, that's a... That's a pretty good idea, and I'll be honest. I'm open to anything on Milleronia, especially on an idea that good. But th there's a reason I haven't gone in that direction so far. Things like a piranha tank have to be in public. It's not like the two volcanoes, which are visible to people. They're a couple of miles away, but they're right there, and it makes keeps everyone in line by just knowing those are the volcanoes. And I take people there. And I don't come back with them. But you know what? Uh, a piranha tank has to be in public, has to be in maybe the town square, and uh, it's some things that people watch. And uh, what I'm getting at is, I didn't want to have something where they get really get their blood up, where they really start salivating, because, well, you know... Piranha really aren't kidding around there, and I didn't want my citizens to start getting bloody-minded more than they are. And uh, that's the sort of thing I'll take care of, as I take care of everything here. But I'll tell you what, Mike, your idea is so good, and that's no kidding, I'm going to keep it on file in the torture section of my brain. There are no bad ideas in torture brainstorming, folks. You ought to know that. So you know what, Mike? We'll see, pal. We'll see. But very, very good idea. And I thought also, I told the colonel, you know, well, well maybe it doesn't, maybe the piranha tank could, doesn't have to be for, for people. Maybe it could just be for pets I don't like. And uh, that's, that's still well. But then I thought that's still very well. That's a tough moment there. And I'm not sure I want the citizens to go that way. Good idea, though, Mike. I'll handle it, and the colonel will handle it with me. We might 
tell Dr. Chris, but I don't think so. Somehow, I think this is an idea for you, Mike Lucking, for me, Larry Miller, for Colonel Jeff, and, of course, for the one and a half million people listening, I think. I think it's just between us. By the way, I mentioned the Helen Amore dancers. Helen Amore is my sister-in-law. It's my wife's sister. And once before, I think maybe twice, but once before, as the head of the dancers there, she's terrific. She's great fun. She's brilliant. She has a great family. She's just terrific to hang out with. And uh, I think, well, by the way, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think she would agree with me not putting a piranha tank in the town square. She wouldn't mind seeing it. She's tough as nails. But you know what? I think she might agree. So anyway, good opening to the show tonight. Whew. Mark Levin, Helena Moore, and Mike Lucking with a heck of an idea. And by Amazon. That's right. Amazon, PayPal, and my book. We have sponsors like Amazon. Folks, it makes me so happy because Amazon is the greatest company in the world for three reasons. They do three things no one else can do. Number one, whatever you order, you get. Whatever you want. Number two, they already have it. You don't have to just worry about it. Whatever you can imagine, order it. They've got it right there. They don't have to have it made. They have a whole warehouse, one of those Indiana Jones warehouses that, that, that they have you know, that's a mile long and a mile wide and a mile high and a mile deep. And you know what? They might even have that stuff from Indiana Jones. That they they whew, they they might even have the Ark of the Covenant there. If they do, well, I'd like to know about it. And if they do, and I don't know about it yet, someone's taking a walk to the volcano. But you know what? That's just great for Amazon. They get you anything in the world you want. And number three, the best reason in the world, they send us a percentage of whatever you order. That's right. They send it right here to the Larry Miller Show. And we get it. And whatever we get, we put right in the cash box for our next big fancy fried chicken dinner with two drinks beforehand in a different place. And we don't know where we're going to do that again yet. It'll be a while, It'll be about six months, I think, somewhere around the end of the year in December. And I've said this before, and I mean it each time. We might, might involve Dr. Chris again. We might invite him again to come with us. Might. That's not a definite because he's involved, well, very deeply in his courses there. He's, he's a clog dancing major at the University of Solvang which is just not 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 too far, just a couple of hours northwest of here, up the coast. And uh, you know what, though? that's The truth is that's another reason Amazon makes it, makes it great being with them. And by PayPal, another great group. And by the way, Amazon and PayPal both have a banner on our website. You go to Larry Miller, no, not, not, not Humor, that's a that's a website from a different part of my life. <laughs> you go to our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have had the fish. What in the world was that? 
<laughs> and the colonel doesn't know. He finds great sounds so that we don't have to make great sounds. And in any case, we may, we will, but we don't have to. And in any case, PayPal and Amazon both have a banner on our website. Don't go there yourself. Don't open your own units. What you do is you go to LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> I just cracked up on that one. I love that one. I love cartoony sounds. So does Colonel Jeff. And my my favorite for the last couple of weeks has been how did bongo drums ever get to be the official sound effect of a character starting to run in a cartoon. And I think it's a great sound effect, but I watched it for so many years as a kid, and I never thought, why that? But it's a great idea. That goes to show you, by the way, how smart and talented cartoon people are. They can come up with things like that. Hey, uh, what do you think of bongo drums? Sounds good to me. So in any case, go to go to our podcast. And PayPal's terrific group, by the way. It makes you feel like you're saving the world every time you work with them. And uh, look, if you enjoy my show here, and why wouldn't you? And you would like to send us a few bucks to help out, and why wouldn't you? You can do it through PayPal. And my way of thinking this is that instead of saying donate or pay what you like, uh, or join the Platinum Committee. I'm, I'm not a big fan of either any of those ways of putting it. I always like to say, buy us some drinks. Buy us a few drinks. I think that would be good for Colonel Jeff, and I'm pretty sure it would be good for me too. And there are different drink levels, levels one through five, all the way up to... We're driving to Florida! I feel the same way. Well, why not? I wrote it. And so, yes, look for the PayPal banner on our website, too. We're very grateful. Every little bit helps and keeps the old leg lamp lit. And thanks very much to everyone who's contributed already and uh, those who are about to. It means the world. And by me and my book, signed hardcover copies of my book, Spoiled Rotten America are now for sale at store.comedyfilmnerds.com. So please go to them. Uh, it's a great book. I had so much fun writing it, and I worked hard on it. It did very well when it came out. Really sold well. And these are the signed copies I signed just for this show and for you. So you know what? Give it a try, and you'll be very happy. It's funny, and it's sweet. No, wait, that's me. Oh, wait. <laughs> well, the book is funny and sweet, too. And that brings me to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. There are those bongo drums. <laughs> this is a good one. Uh, the Colonel and I both like this one. And I hope you do, too. Two businessmen are in a bar. And once again, I have to stop and say, I love jokes that start that way. I love jokes that start a way we can all understand and just get instantly. 
So two businessmen are in a bar and uh, they're standing at the bar having a cocktail. And one businessman after a while says to the other, say, uh, let me ask you something. If uh, we found out that the world only had an hour left, what what would you do? And so, I mean, the, 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 just one more hour and that's it. Everything gets destroyed. And the second guy says, well, I'll tell you what, I'd uh, find the first thing that moved and I'd make sweet, sweet love to it for the whole hour. What would you do? And the first guy says, I'd hold very, very still. <laughs> I hope you like that. We got a kick out of that here. Yeah, not a bad idea. Just don't move a lot. Start building something on the bar with matchsticks. And uh, that brings me to my second favorite part of the show. The Poetry Corner. And this is a lovely poem, especially with the 4th of July coming up. It's a poem called Defense of Fort McHenry, and otherwise known as, the title is Stars and Stripes Forever. And that might tell you right off the bat what it is, especially when you know that the author was a great lawyer and a great, well, author and novelist at the same time, but a terrific poet. And he was named Francis Scott Key. And this was in a battle during the War of 1812 with the British. And uh, by the way, uh, Francis Scott Key was also the attorney for Sam Houston in his trial for assaulting another congressman. Those were wild days, you know. The, I'm, you know, I don't know whether the, yeah, I'm sure Sam Houston knew what he was doing, but ah, I see, assaulting another congressman. Wow, well, that's different from having them all stand up and applaud when someone comes in the room. I was never crazy about that thing. Oh, they stand up, they cheer. That's like a, a nine-minute cheer for the president coming in. And I, you know, I don't. Doesn't matter who the president is. I just think that's too much. I wish for the State of the Union address like that. I wish we went back to, well, the uh, the Jefferson days where they would just write something and send it to Congress. They'd hand write something, and that was the State of the Union. And in Congress, they would, well, they'd either read it or just beat each other up again. But in any case, uh, quite a guy, Francis Scott Key, and he watched from a ship that the attack on Fort McHenry was occurring. The British were attacking it. That was an American fort, and it went all night long, and he was so moved, he wrote this poem. Well, I know you're going to know the first stanza, but there are three others, and they're just beautiful. Here it is. Defense of Fort McHenry. Oh, say, can you see, by the dawn's early light, what so proudly we hailed 
at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight o'er the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming, and the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave? On the shore dimly seen through the mists of the deep, where the foe's haughty host in dread silence reposes, what is that which the breeze o'er the towering steep, as it fitfully blows, half conceals, half discloses? Now it catches the gleam of the morning's first beam, in full glory reflected now shines on the stream. Tis the star-spangled banner, oh, long may it wave, o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. And where is that band who so vauntingly swore that the havoc of war and the battle's confusion a home and a country should leave us no more? Their blood has washed out their foul footsteps' pollution. No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave, and the star-spangled banner in triumph doth wave, or the land of the free and the home of the brave. Oh, thus be it ever when freemen shall stand between their loved home and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land Praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must, when our cause it is just, and this be our motto, in God is our trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. Isn't that great, folks? Well, as I said just before, we all, I guess we all know the first verse, but it's so nice that he repeats it in different tones through each stanza there, or the land of the free and the home of the brave. We don't think about it as well, as beautifully as Francis Scott Key wrote it, but I hope this is a step in that direction. And what better time than July 4th to think in that way? And that brings me to my third favorite part of the show. MMM, Triple M, the magic movie moment. Well, folks, this is a terrific movie, and I hope you've seen it many times, but if you haven't, look it up, see it, 
you, you'll be glad you did. It's called Robin Hood from 1938, directed by Michael Cortese, starring Errol Flynn, Olivia de Havilland, Claude Rains, Basil Rathbone, Ian Hunter. So many great people. What a cast goes on and on and on. And you know what? There have been terrific Robin Hood movies and TV shows since then. I don't know how many. I've seen another five or six or more. I, I, I don't know. And I'm, I'm proud of them. They're all actors. And so they're my brethren and how they're written and how they're directed and acted. It's fine. It's, it's just fine. But to me, there's nothing, absolutely nothing like the great Errol Flynn, you know, while swinging on that branch and uh, hopping up onto the branch of the next tree and standing there with his arms akimbo and holding his waist and <laughs> he laughs and that big smile with those great teeth and just welcoming whoever that next group was to Sherwood Forest. Boy, oh boy, if there's been a love in a movie better than Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland, I'd like to know what it is. It's just perfect. Claude Rains is Prince John, who really well, he's scheming, he's plotting against his brother, King Richard, because Claude Rains is Prince John, wants to be king. And the great Basil Rathbone, Sir Guy of Gisborne, he plays. And you know something? Uh, boy, Leonard Moulton said this in a review of this movie, that if Basil Rathbone wasn't as great a villain as he was, and he was fabulous in this movie, and uh, but as Leonard Moulton said, and it's true, if Basil Rathbone wasn't as good as he was, well, that movie would have just uh, tipped over. It, it needed someone like him to bring well, to bring us as an audience, to really expect that big final last duel between Robin Hood and Sir Guy of Gisborne. And the magic movie moment for me in this, and it, it's a movie with many magic movie moments, but this is very moving to me. When King Richard and his men have just come back from the Crusades, and we know as an as an audience they go to an inn to get some food, and we know it's King Richard the Lionhearted, and it's his men, uh, there were five or six others there, and they're dressed in robes, but we know it's King Richard. And this is the big center character in all the things that are going on in this movie of Prince John trying to be king. And we know it, but then they uh, they escape, they have to run, and they get to find Robin Hood in the forest, in Sherwood Forest. They're riding through it, and uh, Robin Hood, you know, stops them with, with a smile. He doesn't know who they are, and no one knows who they are, but you and I do. And it's a great moment. We can see there's a, a small, affectionate smile on Richard's face as he's stopped by Robin Hood and his men. And uh, he says, yes, of course, we'll come with you. And they go to the center there of Sherwood Forest. But from there, and remember, no one knows it's Richard the Lionhearted yet. And they're in their robes. And just as they're, of course, Robin Hood and his men are being very friendly, we'll have something to eat. You'll relax here a little, you travelers. And uh, at that point, it's Bert Munden, who plays Much, who's one of the tough guys, one of Robin Hood's men. And he's just 
had a big duel with the evil knight. And uh, we don't know how that turns out. They chase each other and beat each other and sword fight. Now it's coming down to a big sword fight and we don't see what happened. They're alone in another part of the woods and the knight takes out his sword and much takes out his sword and then we then we fade we go to another scene and at this point in the forest with king richard and no one knows who he is yet and all his men and no one knows who they are yet the six or seven of them and uh, suddenly well will scarlet comes riding in with much on the back of his horse and much has been wounded and very beaten and very wounded by the black knight but he, we, we find out he's said, Robin Hood says to him, all right, man, we've got to get that and make sure the knight does this. And, and Much says to him, uh, no need, master. He won't be, he won't be killing no one no more. It's a great, it's a great moment. But then, all right, well, we've got to find, because Much has said to him, King Richard is in England now. We've got to, we've got to find him because he doesn't know that all these men are out to get him. And uh, Robin Hood goes, you know, uh, comes to the fore as a leader he says all right men here we're going to do this and we're going to do that you make sure you go there you know and uh, tuck you'll go here and uh, little john you go here and will you go there and we've got to make sure and at that point well that's a magic movie moment for me because someone we know is already king richard and they're in their robes and king richard walks up to robin hood puts his hand on robin's arm and just says no need, Robin. He's safe. He's in the best hands in all of England. And uh, Aerofin says, Who? Where? Where is he? And uh, at that moment, the music rises, and Ian Hunter, as King Richard, takes off the robe, and all his men do behind him, too. And we see it's King Richard, and they're wearing their Crusaders' uniforms, with the red cross and the the white, what is that called? Surplus or something on the outside there, and over the chain mail. Must have been hot under those robes, by the way. But that's neither here nor there. That music rises, folks, and we are as taken as Robin and the men are of Sherwood are. We're glad they revealed themselves. We're glad Richard said wait, because he knows now something's happening. And here, Robin, and uh, he also stands there, arms spread and uh, elbows bent with his fists on his waist. And that Korngold music, by the way, uh, Eric Korngold won an Oscar for the music in Robin Hood. And he, oh, he should have. It's great music. It's perfect for this moment and that scene. And then they go through, all right, here's what we'll do. And he starts to say, sire, you don't know what's gone wrong here. You don't know who's with you and who's against you. But we do. We'll let you tell. We'll tell you about this guy and that guy. But the movie goes on from there. And oh, what what action builds to the end. But that's the magic movie moment for me. What happened in real life? I don't know. And you don't know. But this, as a great movie should be, this is real life. It is for me, and that music makes it real life, and their acting makes it real life. And just leading up to that, where 
Here, Robin, the best in England. And he takes that robe off. And it shows you how great a movie can be, by the way. Why am I... <laughs> they just got back from the Crusades? Is that good? Sure. I, I <laughs> what do we know? It's, it's fabulous. He's got the thing, got a really hot uniform on. And that's when they make their plans. But that moment, that moment, here, Robin, the best in England. It's a great part of that movie. And from 1938, oh, everyone in the country just loved it. So, by the way, please, please get that. If you never have, see Robin Hood from 1938, starring Errol Flynn, Olivia de Havilland, Claude Rains, Basil Rathbone, and Ian Hunter as a great King Richard. He does a great job as it. And, uh, boy, it's nice to be taken away like that because today, and this is the reason I'm on the mainland and that we're not doing the show for Milleronia, today, one of our dogs, Ozzy, the one I love, as I've mentioned before, but Ozzy had to go to the dentist today. And my wife took him to the dentist. He has a cracked tooth. And she took him just as we were starting to work on our show for today. And she brought him back right away because the first step is, well, just a blood test he needed. And, and then he'll have the actual tooth well, chipped or taken out or whatever they do at the dentist there. And I know that technically you could say the dentist. Well, you mean the vet. He's going to the vet. Well, yes, technically, but no, he's also the the dentist too. And he's going to take care of Ozzy same time next week. By the way, they came back after the blood test and Ozzy, God bless him, is lying on the floor right next to my desk right now here in the home studio. And, well, he looks gorgeous and peaceful as always. And he, you know what? You know how sweet he is? He hasn't had any breakfast yet because he's part of the crew here when we when we record in the studio. And he loves Colonel Jeff. That There's no other way to say it. He loves him. He goes nuts when Colonel Jeff comes to the back door and knocks. Ozzy knows it as he's walking up because he's, you know, as dogs can. He can hear him and smell him. And he starts yipping happily and, you know, jumping up and down and runs to the door. And his tail is going crazy. And I open the door and Colonel Jeff just loves him too. Colonel Jeff is a is a good dog man. And, uh, boy, Ozzy now just motionless on the floor there. My wife took him, and uh, yes, the dentist is the vet, but Ozzy's a good boy, and I just, I told him, and hope it doesn't hurt, hurt too much, and uh, old Mr. Dentist, Dr. Dentist, I guess, will fix him right up. So we started today with the blood test, and that's why I'm home on the mainland this week. And uh, by the way, as I said, he loves Colonel Jeff, whom I call Uncle Jeff for these moments, that he's, I said, yes, Uncle Jeff will be here soon. And, uh, but, uh, you know what? Uncle Colonel wasn't going to be back for the show. Wasn't going to see Ozzy before he left. And, uh, 
Oh boy, does Ozzy go nuts for him? He hugs him and licks him and and just jumps jumps at him and stares at him until he gets a little tired and naps on the studio floor during the show, just like right now. And uh, you know what? It's another good lesson in life for you and me. If you or I, folks, could ever be as loving and connected and playful as a good dog, I think we'd really know what peace is. Uh, I had an acting teacher once uh, who's passed on now, Milton Katsalas, and he was great. He used to say that if any actor on a stage could ever be as comfortable and real as a dog, he would be the greatest actor of all time. And I think he's right. And it uh, reminded me, by the way, I said, what did, I said to Colonel Jeff, you know, uh, do we have any vet stories? Do I have any stories about taking a doggy to the vet? And uh, do you have any? And uh, Colonel Jeff and I were talking about that. Uh, this happens in all offices for the vet in those outer offices. And they're never very big. They don't have to be. But uh, it's the doggy version of a Napoleonic complex in the front of the vet's office there. That's people who let their dogs off the leash on hiking trails. Colonel Jeff has seen those, and they always do the same thing. As you know, the dog may come running up at you, and the owner comes walking up behind with a smile, and the owner always says, Oh, he's friendly. No, he's not. Everyone who's been bitten by a dog has always been bitten by a friendly dog. Not a crazy dog, not a gang leader from Hound of the Baskervilles, but always, oh, he's friendly. So listen up. Here's to all people who take their dogs off the leash in a park or on a hiking trail or anywhere. Don't take your dog off the leash. It's not cute, and it's not a treat for the dog. It's horrible. Colonel Jeff, you know, vowed something a while back. He does all the time now. Whenever a loose dog comes running over at 25 miles an hour with the ears back, and the owner just says, oh, he's friendly. Jeff says, oh, yeah? Well, I'm not. And I think that's a great thing to say. You know what? Keep your dog on the leash. How about that? How'd that be for you, okay? There are people, you know, who are afraid of dogs, and they don't need yours coming over, well, in third gear. It, it it scares them, and it really can hurt them. Dogs in movies, by the way, I was telling Colonel Jeff, dogs in movies are like babies in movies. If you think that, by the way, if you think young, beautiful actresses can be annoying sometimes on a movie set, they're nothing compared to babies and dogs. I was in a movie called, um, oh, for goodness sake, wait, wait, I should know this. Wait a minute. Uh, uh, Undercover Blues. That's right. Uh, it was starring uh, Dennis Quaid and Kathleen Turner and me and, uh, and a terrific cast. It was shot in New Orleans and as part of their married couple and their secret agents and their international spies. And they just had a baby, their first baby. And... Uh, so, of course, a baby was cast to be in the movie. But I was telling Colonel Jeff, and maybe you folks know this too, if you put a baby, sometimes you'll see in the credits they're twins. They get twins for a part of just one. But that's because they need a little more sanity time. If you're going to be in New Orleans 
for three months with a baby working in a movie. It doesn't matter the baby's six months old, eight months old. It doesn't matter. A year old, all of that age, you know, they get very used to people catering to them. And they get, well, it becomes a bad habit. So that if someone else on the movie set is going, oh, hello, 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 just before a shot, and if the director then is ready and the director says, okay, here we go, as soon as that assistant, as soon as the, uh, well, as soon as the associate there just says, okay, I'll see you later, and then just runs off, the baby doesn't know it's a movie. The baby starts screaming and crying because the baby's not being petted anymore. Okay, now it's the same with dogs, but, you know, with this, in the case of Undercover Blues, well, you'll never forget, I told Colonel Jeff that, that we were all shooting, everyone, the whole cast, was shooting in a park in New Orleans, a scene where the bad guys and the good guys do this and that, and we were all in it. So this is a cast of about 20, all in our parts around uh, a little uh, lake with a fountain, and, uh, and it was in a park in New Orleans, and and everyone on the movie, all 75 people making the movie, not just folks with lights, everybody, them, the all the hair and makeup people, all the camera people. And there was one of the associate directors, assistant directors, ADs, we called them. And he was there. Well, the first AD is a very big job, a very tough job. That's running the whole movie, really. And the second AD, and then... So this guy, Harold, I think, or Hal was his name. He was the third and a half or even fourth AD. But that's great. That's fine. That's how you start in movies. And... uh he was there, and he was—he was a very nice fellow. He was about twenty-two or twenty-three, but not surprisingly, he didn't know anything about babies. So he was going. <laughs> the baby in this shot, and by the way, with all the cast and all the crew and everybody there, it took a while to set up this shot, and the baby was being great, and it was really a blessing. And the baby was not asleep, but kind of drifting a little bit. It was—it was perfect. And the director says softly, okay, they wouldn't go, says, all right, we'll do tail sticks. Tail sticks means that you're going, you're not going to clap anything. You're not going to do any big signals. You'll do that at the tail, at the end of the shot. Then you'll do it, but let's get the shot now. So he's kind of whispering, okay, we're all sitting in sound and lining, everything's all right. And then Hal, the fourth AD, just comes jogs over to the baby about 20 feet and just says, don't worry, you're going to be great. And then he runs away and then the baby just gets startled and starts screaming. The baby was fine until Hal went up there and now the baby's screaming and crying ah, ah, because Hal terrified him. Now the baby may only be eight months old. Why in God's name would Hal and, you know, Everyone knew no one's going to be having lunch with Hal for the rest of the movie because that was the dumbest thing anyone had ever seen. Why wake up the baby and make him scream when you're all set for the shot? A big shot with everyone in it. But the point is, that, well, the baby calmed down again after about 40 minutes. But for that time, everyone has to stand still and can't move till... The babies, well, the mom is there, but how the other assistant directors, not Hal, 
get to walk over, you know, and just, and just kind of calm it down. Okay, okay, okay. And eventually the baby okayed and calmed down a bit. <laughs> you could see in the director's face, he was ready to strangle this guy. And as I said, Hal's a terrific fella. He's a nice fella. But I'll bet you a dollar he didn't wake up any other babies on sets since then. That's why, as in fact, Colonel Jeff reminded me of uh, what W.C. Fields used to say. He used to have a saying that uh, I'll never work with animals or babies. And remember, he, he was a drunk, so if he couldn't take it, boy, oh boy. This, it just reminded me of all the things we have to do as, oh, I remembered for all the athletic exams, physicals, for sports in junior high and high school. I remembered that because, you know, for physical, all boys would know this. I don't know if they still do this anymore, but part of it is you got to go down to the nurse's office and the doctor comes in, the guy hired by the school district staff. And he does, he's a regular doctor in the area there and he's had a long career as a great doctor. And then he, they hire him to be the guy who does this inspection exam of all the boys. And what the, inspection, what the inspection exam is, is that he's sitting there and all the boys up for special sports in, so let's say it's the fall, so it's whatever it is, football, soccer, you know, uh, anything else. And he, all the boys come there and line up with the line going out the door and they go, we're going in the nurse's office. And the guy, this is the classic turn your head to the wall and cough. You've probably all heard that phrase. So what happens if the doctor's there, he's got his stethoscope around the neck and the main exam, the one exam, the only exam is you walk in there and everybody, no shirts on and uh, no shoes and you get your pants you're holding up because the pants are unbuckled. And when it's your turn and it doesn't take long, you just walk up to the doctor and there's a whole line behind you and he says, all right, drop your pants and you then drop your pants and your underpants. And what he does is he, well, it's a doctor's exam. He, he, holds your, he holds your testicles, and he holds them in his hand, and then says, all right, turn your head to the wall and cough. And I, that, that's fine. We didn't care. Well, what's there to care about? And uh, even though uh, Nurse Kelly was there, she was a great nurse. We didn't care about that either. It's it's just the physicals for sports. And one time, though, the kid who went up for his exam, we were, so we're all 12 or 14 or something, and uh, the kid goes up there, and uh, the doctor gets hold of him up there with the, everything down. He says, all right, now turn your head to the wall and cough. But the kid didn't turn his head to the wall. The kid just coughed and goes... <coughs> and but straight to the top of the doctor's head. And I remember, first of all, the doctor just kind of shouted, not on me, not on me, which, well, I understand, first of all, because if you're going to do 200 kids in our school, then you go to another school for another 200, then go there are six or seven schools. So this is, well, that's about 2,500 sets of, you know what's you're holding that day and you don't need kids coughing 
on your face. And I understand it. But boy, when he said that, just the words, not on me, and I remember he said it twice, not on me, not on me. But he really, not surprisingly, he barked it out. He was mad, not on me, not on me. And, well, boys being boys, there were another 150 of us all stretching out the nurse's office, and we all thought that was funny. And so we all laughed. Boy laughs. Ha, 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 And the poor doctor. All right, it's, he's okay, but it's just another... If you've got to do, well, 3,000 kids that day, you don't need them coughing on your head. And I understand that completely. That's why we know the phrase, you know what? Turn your head to the wall and cough. Is there anything wrong? I don't even know what this exam is, is for, by the way. You know that... Uh, not on me. And I was asking the colonel, you know, we were wondering, is this operation, is this event, rather, is this examination that necessary anymore? Is there is there an epidemic of hernias? I mean, is it not as dangerous as we may think? It's just a thought struck us that, was this test more relevant in 1908 than today? And I think that's a that's a valid question. I mean, is it for diseases that don't even have names anymore? Because we didn't care. We were kids. What do we know? It was a physical, and I said Nurse Kelly was standing there, too, keeping everyone in line. We didn't care about that. And is it still used, even? I don't know. Please, by the way, if you would, write to the podcast and say, you know, they still do it or no. They haven't done that in years. That's why it seems so good with the 4th of July coming up, not only to read that poem from Francis Scott Key, and we all know the first verse. But 4th of July is a holiday. Maybe we don't celebrate as much as we might have, but maybe we do. There are parades and barbecues and fireworks. There are no gifts for the 4th of July. I couldn't think of any, and the curtain couldn't think any either, you know, of uh, what would be a good gift for the 4th of July. I don't know. I don't think there's anything. And to be honest, and Colonel Jeff and I agree on this, I've never liked fireworks that much. I never really cared about them. I mean, to me, if I want to see fireworks, and I really don't, and I've taken the kids with my wife and we've gone to see fireworks, and I remember being a kid, my parents would take us all to, to uh, well, Veterans Field to see the fireworks there, and they were always run by the fire department. We'd all say that to each other, by the way. Every year, we'd always all say, you know, this is run by the fire department because it made you feel good. Well, it's safer that way. They... The firemen know what they're doing with this. And uh, <clears throat> I hate the ones people set off in their backyards. That's just the way it is. I mean, uh, backyards or driveway fireworks to me aren't. And this is when I was a kid, by the way. You know, I remember we'd go over to uh, Mr. Sashin's place and uh, Mr. Riccio was there. And uh, these are all uh, kids who were friends. And, and I like the parents, too. But they always had, always had... Well, uh, uh, fireworks to set off. But in those days, remember, it was fireworks. It was firecrackers. And not so many. Just a few firecrackers. And, well, you know, that's about it. And uh, I never quite liked it when any when that was time to do to do that. It's okay with me. I suppose you don't want to be the one, the one kid at that point says, I don't like this stuff. So that was okay. 
but I think backyard fireworks have steadily moved up from firecrackers and bottle rockets to SEAL Team 6 explosions. And I think you know that to be true. In fact, isn't it always, that's how athletes lose thumbs, don't they? They suddenly, well, this guy, the tight end for this, just lost a couple of fingers because he was at the backyard fireworks of one of his idiot friends. And it reminded me, when I was in college, I was in uh, this fraternity, Chi Phi, and uh, we had a great time there. It was a great bunch of guys, and I liked it a lot. And on holidays, well, like Memorial Day, and really any American holiday, well, it was a lot more than that, actually. <laughs> it wasn't, come to think of it, it wasn't just holidays. We would go up on the roof of the fraternity of Chi Phi, and it wasn't easy getting up there, by the way. I guess it's not supposed to be, but... We'd go up on the roof, the beautiful old fraternities, Georgian buildings, and uh, we'd go up there, and we'd go up with bottle rockets, a lot of them, and empty Coke bottles, and the idea was we were going to shoot bottle rockets uh, at cars going by on Route 9 or Route 116. Now, it doesn't sound like such a great thing to do. I know that. Well, no, I don't. It was a great thing to do. <laughs> And we were aiming, especially on warmer days, you'd aim for the open windows. Again, this is not something... And every so often, you'd get one in the open window. You'd have nine or ten guys there who didn't have any classes that day or just skipped them. Yeah, that was it. We just wouldn't go to class. And everyone had a Coke bottle. And since we, it was kind of a festivity, we'd also take a keg of beer up there. And if you think it was hard getting up there yourself... It was we'd done that before, and I was a, and I was a social chairman and a vice president, and well, you can imagine what it was like to have someone in authority like me, but any of the guys. So we'd go up there, and with our bottle rockets, and there was a keg of beer, we'd set it up, and you could spend three or four hours like that, which was frankly great. And well, you'd have the bottle rocket, and we'd kind of dangle our feet off the edge and sit there. That's the kind of thing you don't tell your parents about a lot. And we'd shoot these bottle rockets, and uh, they'd, boy, well, they go. They really go, those bottle rockets. And every so often, yeah, one of the guys would get a bottle rocket in the car, in someone's open window. And I, you know, that wasn't, the people in the car weren't that happy about this. In fact, they were terrified, because which... You would be too. I, I would be too. A bottle rocket comes in the car. You'd see the car on Route 9 start to swerve a bit, and you'd hear people, ah, ah. <laughs> and, uh, well, they were fine, you know, I think. And the point is, we were, of all this, we, we did this a bunch, and I was right across the street. You see, I was a music major. And the music building with the well, with the performing theater and all the classrooms was right across the street from our fraternity. And this is not a wide street either. These were just two-lane roads. And it was, uh, the whole building was pretty close. And anything that happened, it never dawned on me because it was kind of a modern building with glass, uh, not just windows, with glass walls. And so it was a floor-to-ceiling bunch of classrooms. And uh, the offices down on the first floor, which were for the professors. Of course, they had the 
you know, glass walls, uh, floor to ceiling. And I went once to, uh, to arrange to have a little extra time to do some of the assignments. As I said, I was a music major. I was a th- uh, theory and composition major. But I was also someone, I'm not proud of this, but I, I wouldn't go to class a lot. Not when we had things like sitting up on the roof of the fraternity to do. And, but I went in there to see a good man, Professor May, Ernie May. And I went to see him and uh, I was sitting in his office on the first floor there. And I wanted to say that truthfully, you know, I know I have some assignments that I haven't turned in. I hadn't turned in any, by the way, but I hadn't gone to class. And, uh, but I wanted to, you know, make it right and say, hey, listen, let me, let me compose a few things and get them in. There were two weeks to go in the semester. And I, I could do that. And I was, and, but he said to me, he's a good guy. He nodded and, uh, at me as I was talking and he's facing the window, his window, you know. And he said to me after I said what I wanted to do, he said, Larry, you know, I'll have to be honest with you. I, I, I don't even know why you're here right now because every time I hold my class, I can see you and those friends of yours on the roof of that fraternity across the street shooting bottle rockets and drinking beer. And, well, I was uh, sitting there kind of leaning on the desk and I just looked at him and blinked and he looked at me and blinked. And, you know, there's nothing to say to that. I wasn't trying to, I wouldn't lie and I wouldn't make something up that uh, I said, oh boy, I mean, you're, you're nabbed there. You, that's, there's nothing to say to that. There's nothing anyone could say to that. And I did well in the performing as a music major and I did well in this and that, but you know, he was being, he was being honest. And the truth is folks, I don't even remember how that ended. I know I wrote a couple of things and turned them in and I always, I always did well with it. In fact, I had honors grades to, uh, to be an honors music major. I didn't. I didn't pass the honors part because the guys you have to go in front of for the exam are the same professors who see you on the roof of Kai-Fi drinking. So it's not as if they're going to say, you know, your idea about learning all those pieces on the classical guitar doesn't hold a lot of water when we can see you holding a lot of water. But you know what, folks? I wouldn't change any of that, and I hope you feel the same way about, well, your little bottle rocket stories, too. Let's all, well, let's all fly a flag this 4th of July, and let's all smile and think about what it took to get us to sit on those roofs. I know it, and you know it. We know the same things. Homer is Homer, and Pluto is a planet. So remember, folks, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And that's still the truest thing I know. Be well, happy 4th of July, and we'll see you here next time.